Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are a risen Lord. Lord, we are only redeemed because you are risen. No one else could redeem us. No one else could pay the price. And no one else has triumphed over sin and death. But Lord, because of your work on the cross, because of your great grace, Lord, we have the promise of heaven. Lord, we pray right now as we go to your word. Again, may you be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to each and every one of us tonight. You've brought us here by divine appointment. Nothing happens by chance. So, Lord, I just pray that we be ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Again, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one, so you might want to get one. Raise your hand, and if you want to take that Bible home, you absolutely can. It's a gift from us to you. Turn your Bible to Judges 18, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. encourage you to come on Sunday. We'll be starting 1 Timothy this Sunday. We just finished 2 Thessalonians last week. We'll be looking at 1 Timothy this coming Sunday. It'll be a blessing. All right, Judges. If you haven't been here, just by way of quick review, we know that this was a book that was written right after entering into the land of promise, but it covers about a 400-year period of time. Seven cycles of the constant starting off doing well with God, walking with the Lord, with a judge that would lead them. And as soon as the judge would die, they go right back into the idolatry and the things of the world and falling away from God. And then eventually come to the place where they would cry out to the Lord and he'd bring yet another judge or deliverer. The word judge here, really a better term would be a deliverer. He's not a guy in a black robe, but he's somebody that God would bring along to restore the worship back to the true and living God. But if you'll remember, it says at the beginning of Judges, the end of Joshua, that everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. So that's the land that they were living in, that 400-year period of time. Now we come, we've gone through all the Judges, from Othniel through Samson, and actually Samuel, I believe, is the last of the Judges. But Samson, the last one in this book, and then the last five chapters kind of go back in time to the very beginning of the time of the Judges and give us an overview of what's going on in normal everyday life with the people where it was concentrating on the judges before, now it's going to concentrate on what was happening during that time. Now, we're going to look, and if you're a note taker, I titled the message tonight, Serving a God of Our Own Creation. Serving a God of Our Own Creation. By the way, can I encourage you with something? Pray about taking notes, even if you never look at them again. For me, whenever I listen to someone teach the Bible, I take notes, and what it does is it makes me track better. I remember, it keeps me on line with what they're teaching, and even if I take them and throw them away at the end of the study, it just helps me to keep on track. Just, just an encouragement for you, not a, not a prerequisite. You, can, you don't have to take notes, okay? You can come and not take notes, all right. Now, when we serve a God of our own creation, we're going to see several things in tonight's text that we, we catch from this tribe of Dan, and we'll talk about them in a moment. But the things that we're going to see, and then I'll give you the points in a minute, but I'll go over them in more in depth right now, is we're going to see that when we serve a God of our own creation, we start to disregard the commands of God. Commands of God, word of God, not so important when we're serving a God of our own creation. Does that sound like the world we live in today? We're just serving gods of our own creation. Oh, word of God, take it or leave it. It's not a big deal. Pick and choose what you want. And as I've said many times, either either you believe in all of the word of God or forget it. Because God's word, Jesus said, not a jot or a tittle will pass away. That's every letter and that's every space in between the letters. And God is serious about his word. Jesus said to Satan when he was tempted, what did he tell him? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. Every word. That word every is important. 
every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. We don't pick and choose in the Bible. And sadly, when we start to serve a God of our own creation, we start to disregard the word of God and his commands he's given us. The second thing we'll see is we'll start to find those who will give us counsel we want to hear. Call them hirelings or ear ticklers today. The Bible says in the end time, men will raise up for themselves ear ticklers. People who will tell them what they want to hear. So when we start serving a God of our own creation, we'll find someone who will give us the counsel that we want to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. The things that I want to do and continue on in pretending like I'm walking with God. Third thing we'll see is we make decisions based more on our flesh than, than the leading of the Spirit. Fourthly, we're willing to fight battles we think we can win, but we back away from the ones where we must trust in God. We start to back away from the things that require faith. Back away from the things that require brokenness and desperation before God. If it's a battle I think I can win in my own strength, okay. And we're going to see that in tonight's text. But if I have to trust in God, not so much. And that's what we see when we start serving a God of our own creation. Fifthly, we're going to see that we try to legitimize our ungodly behavior by using outward religious rituals. Boy, we see this in the world we live in today. People live the most godless lives and try to paint Christianity or some form of religion on top of it. And I'm just going to be blunt. And that'll surprise you, won't it? But I'm just going to be blunt. You know what? There's so much going on in the world today in the name of the religion that is the most godly stuff that there could ever be. Ungodly stuff. Godless. People in the name of religion are doing ungodly things and painting God in the midst of it. And it's so tragic. It's so sad. And we're going to see that in tonight's text. Trying to use religious rituals. You know what I thought about? I thought about how religious most mobsters are. Did you know that they are? Most guys are caught up in the mafia, really religious. Go out and blow up 72 people in the afternoon and go to mass that evening. Something's wrong. Trying to paint godlessness with religion, paint it over the top of it that makes it okay, and it doesn't. And that's what happens when we're serving a God of our own creation. We're also going to see that in the end, these false gods will come to nothing. In the end, these false gods the world wants to serve are going to come to nothing. And we'll also see as well that we will start to misuse the Word of God. When we start serving a God of our own creation, we take the Word of God and contort it and use it for our own benefit. And then lastly that our worship will be focused more on what's easy and convenient and feeds our flesh than what's right. So real quickly, if you're taking notes, I, I summarize those things real quick, if you're taking notes. Serving a God of our own creation. Number one, we disregard the commandments of God. Number two, we find those who will tell us what we want to hear. We disregard the commandments of God, we find those who will tell us what we want to hear. Number three, we make fleshly decisions, not spiritual ones. Fleshly decisions, not spiritual ones. Fourth, we fight battles in our own strength. We fight battles in our own strength. Fifth, we try to cover ungodly behavior with outward religion. Sixth, and again, we'll go through these as we're going along. In the end, these false gods will come to nothing. Seventh, we will misuse the word of God. And then lastly, we'll choose comfort and convenience over faithfulness, obedience, and truth. So serving a God of our own creation. Let's begin in chapter 18, verse 1, picking up where we left off last time. We'll, we'll look at this man by the name of Micah in a few verses. But it says there in verse 1 of, of Judges 18, In those days there was no king in Israel. Here's the beginning of the problem. Because who is supposed to be their king? God is their king. 
But as men, don't we want to cry out for something visible we can touch? Too often what we want to do is, the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, he's not enough. We need something visible we can touch. And Israel had no one to rule over them, but God was to be their king. But in human frailty, they wanted a human figure to follow. This goes back to the beginning. Time-wise, of the book of Judges, they had just entered the land. God had given them victory, but Joshua had just died. So now they had nobody in their mind to follow. So what are they going to do? Everyone began to do what was right in his own eyes. With no man to look to, each tribe would need to look to God's word that had been given them to, by Joshua for direction. Guys, quit looking at man, start looking at the word. The problem was they, started, they were looking for a man to follow and God had given them some very clear direction. And we're going to see that because there was no man to follow that the Danites are going to start to say, well, even though God gave us a clear command, we're going to go our own way. God had given each of the tribes. If you guys remember, when they went into the land, he told all 12 tribes where they were to live. He told them exactly where they were to live. He told them, if you go in and you're faithful, I'll give you victory. You just walk in. And all they had to do was step out in faith and God would give them victory. But sadly, not one of the 12 tribes took all of the land that God had given them. Not one. And the Danites are even worse, as we're going to see in the text tonight. Then it says, And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day, their inheritance of the among, among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. The tribe of Dan had already received a specific portion of land. If you'll remember when we were looking at it back in Joshua, they were given some land down in the south, up in the hills of Jerusalem, toward the Mediterranean Sea. But they had not gone into the land. As a matter of fact, they had only taken a very small piece of it, and they were basically up hiding in the hills. And so they're sitting up there hiding in the hills. They have... Uh, Not a huge tribe, but enough to where they're overcrowded. But the only reason that it was so crowded is they didn't do what God called them to do. Why didn't they go into the land? Why didn't they get the inheritance that God had given them? Because they were afraid. They were afraid because the Philistines were big. The Philistines were the giants that were in the land. Originally, when the Canaanites went, when they went into Canaan, and the spies came back, Joshua and Caleb, they said, they said, hey, we can win the battle. And the rest of the people said, oh man, there's giants in the land. Well, these Philistines and the Amorites who were in their territory were big. And so the Danites, instead of trusting in God, had taken a little small piece, hoping the Philistines wouldn't notice they were there, and hid in this little small spot instead of trusting in the Lord. You know what? Satan wants to do the same thing to us today. He wants us to just... Not step out in faith to what God has for And I'm not talking about stuff, please, okay? I'm talking about the calling and the gifting that God has given us to step out and be salt and light to a lost and dying world. And the enemy would love nothing more for, the, for us to just sit and hide away somewhere and hope that nobody ever notices that we're walking with God. Amen? That's the enemy's, tri- that's his desire. And that's what's happening here with the tribe of Dan. The portion given to them was in a very choice territory But the problem that laid in front of them were the Philistines and the Amorites, the giants' renowned soldiers. Guys, it's not faith if we can do it without help. It's not faith. 
If we can just do it on our own and we don't need God's help, it doesn't require any faith. And God purposely will put things in our path that are too great for us so that we'll have to trust God. Because without a test, there can be no testimony. Amen? Without a struggle and some trials of life, we're never going to grow spiritually. And here's what's happening to the Danites. Rather than step out in faith and trust God, they were fearful as they saw the enemy was too great and looked instead for an easier path. They set hiding out in the hills. And again, not one of the tribes, but the Danites can be those who have some of the greatest accusation against them. Because we, and we too follow that path. God's way is too difficult sometimes, in our opinion. The obstacles are too great. And, you know, stepping out, doing things for the God, that's just too much. You know, I got my get out of hell free card. It's in my wallet. I'm going to heaven. I'm just going to hang out at home and do nothing. And wait till the Lord comes back. And you know what? You can have a saved soul and a wasted life. I absolutely believe that. God wants to use you. Don't you want to be used by God? Don't want you to impact the world? Or do you want to just sit back and do nothing? God's way can seem difficult, but you know what? God is with you. And He'll never call you to do anything He won't equip you to do. Just step out and watch God do great and awesome things. Man's fleshly response when things are difficult is to look for the easy way out. And seeing things from a physical perspective, this is what the Danites chose to do. Look at verse 2. So the children of Dan sent five men of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtoal, to spy out the land and search it. Instead of obeying God's command, they sent out a search party to find easier digs. Instead of plowing the land and taking the land God had given them, they said, let's go find a place that's easier. Let's go find a place where there's like nobody or a place where we can conquer them, no problem. We don't want to fight giants. We want to find a land of of little people. We want to find a land that has nobody there, people without any weapons. We don't want to have to fight a battle. We don't want to have to use any faith. We don't want to have to trust God. We want to be able to trust in ourselves. Dan rejected the very land that God had given them. And sadly, when we do that, we miss out on God's highest. We Christians must never despise the lot the Lord chooses to give us, whatever it might be. And we can easily tire of the place God has called us to be because the battles are too hard or they seem to be impossible. But here's the only question. Are you where God wants you to be? And if you are, be faithful. Be steadfast. One of my encouragements to most other pastors I know, and I've, I've told you guys this, and every time I say it, people make, you know, question me, or I don't know if they question me, they caution me. That's probably the right word. I keep telling people I feel like I'm in Santa Cruz for the rest of my life. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't send me to China because my life is His, not mine. And He can send me anywhere He wants. But let me just tell you right now, my heart is I am here for the rest of my life. Stake is in the ground. I'm not going anywhere. Now, why? Because God called me to be here. And because I know that, it's a joy. And are there trials? Are there, are there easier places in America to be a pastor than Santa Cruz? What do you think? No doubt. And you know what? The Danites are looking for the easy land. I want to go pastor a church in the Bible Belt. Everybody believes in Jesus in the Bible Belt. I'm going to go up to the Bible Belt. You know, that kind of thing. Give me a place where everybody loves God, not a place where God is mocked. But you know what? What better place to take a halogen light than the darkest place around? This is the place God's called us to be. And that's where the Danites said God had given them a land where he was going to do great and awesome things. And instead they said, oh, let's go find something easy. Let's go find a lighter path. 
It's interesting, Zorah and Eshtawal. Do you remember, you recognize those names? Guess who lived in that territory? Samson. Now, this is hundreds of years before Samson. Remember, we, went, we tracked back in time. But Samson's going to come from this very territory. So the Danites. Now, look what it says here. Who do they send out to spy out the land? They were men of valor. Now, if these guys are men of valor, how come they're going and looking for something easier? Men of valor, if they're mighty warriors, how come they're not trying to just say, come on, guys, God said we got them, let's go get the Philistines. These guys are not men of valor. They might be men of valor from the world's perspective, or even, again, men of valor compared to the rest of the Danites, but these are guys who wimped out and didn't do what God called them to do. They were men who were looking for the easiest path. It says there, to spy out the land, they said to them, go Go, search the land. So they went to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of, who? Micah. Remember Micah? You hear last, two weeks ago? Micah. Micah, whose name means, who is like Jehovah. That's a great name. If your parents name you, who is like Jehovah, when everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes, you probably have some godly parents. But guess what? We found out a lot about, about Micah last time, didn't we? What kind of man was he? He stole from his mother, right? 1,100 shekels, about 110 years wages. He feared being cursed by his mom more than being obedient, disobedient to God. Remember that? He stole the money and he didn't give it back until his mom said, I cursed whoever took the money, then he gave it back. He wasn't worried about breaking commandments and disobeying God. He was worried about his mom cursing him. Micah was also a young man. I told you, I thought he was a spoiled brat, and he was. And he took silver given back to him. And what did he do with the silver given to him by his mom? He made idols with it. Now, Micah, who is like Jehovah? Not you, that's for sure. What is he doing? He's making idols. He takes them, and he builds a shrine of his own, and then he hires his own priest, and he gets his own ephod, and he starts having his own worship. And again, the idol was to represent Jehovah, but he's breaking the first and the second commandment, right? Shall no other gods before me, you shall serve no graven image. Guys, we don't worship things even if they represent Jesus. Amen? That's why I don't put, we don't have statues of Jesus up. Why not? Because Jesus is not a statue. We're not serving a dead relic. We're serving a risen and living Savior. But sadly, what you see here is he's turning his God into something tangible he can touch. He gets himself a priest. As we know, Jonathan, the grandson of Moses. How far did he fall? The grandson of Moses becomes a hireling. He comes stumbling along. And for ten shekels and a shirt, he becomes the priest for this guy and his false religion that he's creating with these false gods. That's Micah. So these guys are going along. Isn't it amazing how bad company always tends to end up together? You ever notice that? I've had people in my youth group and friends that I knew, you could put them in a room with a thousand people, and 998 of them could be on fire for God, and two of them plotting to burn down the building, and they'll find those two in a minute and a half. It's amazing how that happens. We gravitate towards those people. And so here they are, running away from God's will, seeking out the easy way, and then running to Micah. Micah, Mr. Idol Builder. So now they're together as they're trekking along, and they run into this, this ungodly man, Micah. So look what it says there. They, they, they go to Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and they lodged there. So you got the guys running away from God's will, lodging with the guy, 
who took his soul money from his mom and then got her back and made idols and is worshiping God of his own creation. And they're hanging out together. So, when we serve a God of our own creation, we disregard the command of God. Did God have a clear command for the Danites? What's the answer? Yes. yes. He said, here's your land. Go get it. Then they went down and looked and went, oh, I don't think so. I think I want to go over here. You know where they went? The exact opposite end of Israel. They were on the southernmost portion. They went to the very most northern end. I want to get as far away from what God told me to do as I possibly can. Guess what? It's never going to be joyous when you do that. Second point. We're going to find those who will tell us what we want to hear. Look at verse 3. While they were at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. Now this is Jonathan, the grandson of Moses. Now some said they recognized his voice because he had an accent. I don't think so. It doesn't say they recognized the accent of the young man. It says they recognized his voice. You know what I think? I think they knew it was Moses' grandson. Do you think people might know who Moses' family was? What do you think? It's Moses. Went up on the mountain, right? Came down, glowing in the dark for Jesus, right? Moses had to veil his face. Moses brought down the Ten Commandments. Moses, part of the Red Sea. Right? Sinners saved by grace like all of us. But Moses, well, certainly they're going to know his family is. I think they recognized him. Oh, this is Moses' grandson. And then they said to him, look, and this is a great question. Who brought you here? They turn aside and say, Who brought, what are you doing in this place? What do you have here? What are you doing here? You're Jonathan. You're the grandson of Moses. You're a Levite. And the Levites had specific places where they were supposed to be. And they were to be serving the, helping the priest in service. Now, he was a Levite. Was he a priest? What's the answer? Yeah. Why not? The priests were only the descendants of whom? Aaron. Aaron is the brother of Moses. So he was not a priest. He was a Levite. But he was to stay in the land. That, so here, you got a guy running away from where he's supposed to be, running into a bunch of people who are running away from where they're supposed to be. Birds of a feather flocking together, right? Here they are. And they see him. And they want to know what he's doing. And again, it seems very likely to me that this man who was called to make sacrifices to the Lord, again, help the priests do that, and interpret the law. That's what the Levites did. They were like pastors. They opened up the law and interpreted it for the people, and they had uh, you know, disputes. And they had places they were supposed to be, but now he goes off away from that and sold himself out for ten shekels in a shirt. Verse 4. He said to them, Thus and so Micah did for me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. Micah didn't say, God sent me here. You know why he didn't say that? Because God didn't send him there. He said, I got myself a gig. I'm getting paid. I was just looking for some money. And I was traveling down the road. Brother gave me ten shekels and a shirt, so here I am. He's just saying, I got hired. He's a hireling. He's not being called by God. He was hired by men. And we see the true motives of this man, Jonathan, was nothing more than a hireling. You know the problems with a hireling? When you're hired, it doesn't mean you're called. Amen? You know what? I tell people all the time, if I can talk you out of your calling, you're not called. If you're called by God, you'll run through the brick wall to do it, and you'll do it for free. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be times when God's going to raise up support that allows you to be in full-time ministry, because that certainly can be God's calling. But you know what? If someone's called, they'd be willing to do it if they never got paid their entire life. If they had to be like Paul, making tents their entire life, working from sunup to sundown, and witnessing during the, new, during the hot sun when everybody's resting, 
If that's what I have to do, that's what I'll do. But you know what a hireling does? A hireling is just the opposite. I ain't doing it if I don't get paid. What does this gig pay? You know, there was a time at one point we were looking for a worship leader several years back. And the first question one guy asked me on the phone was, how much does it pay? That was game over. Now, that doesn't mean at some point he shouldn't find out so he can support his family. I understand that. But your first thought ought to be, let's get together and pray and see if this is what God wants. Then God will work out the details. Amen? Where God guides, God provides. And so we see here the exact opposite. A hireling is also motivated by worldly riches, not godly calling, calling, and will most often be the one who tells tells the people who have hired him what they want to hear. If somebody's hiring you and paying you, and you're a hireling, aren't you probably going to just tell them what they want to hear? Of course you are. Why? Because you want to stay hired. You don't want to be fired, right? You don't want to be a fireling, right? You want to be a hireling. (laughs) And the truth is that this is sadly what has happened in much of the world today. People are hirelings, pastoring churches, who only tell people what they want to hear. And you know what? Someone who's called by God will fearlessly tell his people what they need to hear. Not just what they want to hear, not just a popularity contest. Tell them what they need to hear because you know what? That's truly an act of love on the heart of the pastor. Amen? Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. He didn't say, if you love me, flatter my sheep. If you love me, tell them how wonderful they are. If you love me, make sure you're making, making a lot of bank and you just keep giving them what they want. And that's not it at all. We've got too many hirelings in the world today. And we need men of God to step up and teach the word and do it without compromise, but do it in love. Amen? And if they get fired, so be it. I told you recently, I met with a pastor here in town. He said, if I taught through the Bible, my people wouldn't take it. I said, bro, just do it. And I said, if they fire you, I'll give you a job. Just do it. Do it and see what happens, amen? But it's so sad when people are more concerned with being faithful to the audience than faithful to the one who called them. We've got to be faithful to God, amen? Don't worry. Again, it's not what the people think. It's what God says that matters. So, I was hired. That's why I'm here. Verse 5. So they said to him, Please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. Now, they're asking a guy who's in total rebellion whether or not what they're about to do is godly. Don't you love this? And this is what people do today, don't they? You go to the bar and ask him, what do you think? Well, I think the Lord would have you. Yeah, I think you ought to do that. You know what I mean? And we start thinking that somehow, if we get, if we get talk to enough people, we'll find somebody that agrees with us. I've had people that have called, and I'm the eighth pastor they talk to, and I'm like, what are you doing? What? You know, the other seven guys told me I shouldn't do it. I'm like, then why are you here? I'm hoping that maybe you'll be different, you know. The Word of God is the standard, amen? And sadly, what we're seeing here is that these guys are going to this guy who is a hireling and asking him what he thinks about them being in rebellion against God. Are they rebelling against God right now where they're headed? Why are they asking him what he thinks? The Word of God is the authority, not what men say. This is what happens in the world today. The Word of God says, you shall not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't marry an unbeliever. Then someone will go to... What do you you think? I mean, I know they're not saved, but but she's fine. You don't understand. I mean, she's just... You know, and and I love her. And I just believe God's given me... No, He didn't give you permission. The Word of God's the authority. Amen? 
But what we're seeing right here is the same thing. Well, what do you guys, what do you think? Now, what do you think the hireling's going to tell this big group of guys? Men of valor? Whatever they want to hear. Look at the next, next verse. Surprise, surprise. And the priest, and he's not really a priest. He was a priest anointed by men, not called by God. He's a hireling. Said, go in peace. The presence of the Lord be with you on your way. Continue sleeping with your girlfriend. The peace of God be with you on your way. Continue on stealing from your boss. The peace of God be with you on your way. They're in total rebellion against God. You know what they needed? They needed, some, they needed Joshua. They needed Mo- what do you think Joshua would have said? Dude, repent, go home, fight the Philistines like God told you to. Go back. He wouldn't be worried about how the five men of valor, because he's with God, amen? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But sadly, they got to hear exactly what they wanted. And that's what happens in the world today as people preach crowns but not the cross. Talking only about the, the heavenly rewards. Are there heavenly rewards? You bet. But are there consequences for disobedience? Yes, there are. So serving a God of our own creation, we disregard the commands of the true and living God and we find those who will give us the counsel we want to hear. Number three, we make fleshly decisions, not spiritual ones. Verse seven. So the five men departed and went to Laish and they saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely in a manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything They were far from the Sidonians, and they had no ties with anyone. Ooh. What have they found? Some patsies. There's no giants. There's no army. There's nobody that's going to come and run and help them. They found some people that were isolated. They found some people that were peaceful. And they also found some people that God had not told them to touch. God had told them to wipe out the Philistines, right? So they're going to instead go their own way and attack these innocent people up in the Northern Territory. Now, just so you know, this spot where Dan is going to settle is one of the most beautiful spots on this planet. And it's interesting that from Dan to Beersheba, when you talk about Israel today, they'll say from Dan to Beersheba. Dan is the northern tip. That's where they're going to be established as we get to this chapter. But if we got the pictures of someone going to throw those up, if you were with us in Israel, we went up to tell Dan. And Tel Dan is the area, this is, now, how nice is that? How fertile is that? This is Dan. Now, if you went up there and you had been to the land of the giants that was really hilly, right? And difficult and treacherous, and you went up and you saw this place, and it was lush and green and beautiful, and, no, and they really didn't have an army, and they were just kind of securing themselves, and there was nobody to help them. Oh, what have we found? The easy path. Next picture. Now, it's also not only fruitful, but there's a great deal of water. Next one. This is the headwaters of the Jordan, and I wish you could hear it. It just is this rushing water, and the water is the cleanest water I've ever seen in my life, coming right up out of the ground, and it feeds the entire Jordan River from there. So when they went up there, do you think that they, in their mind, they're looking from a physical perspective. Is this a sweet spot or what? The water is is incredible, it's lush, it's green, it's fertile. And you know what? The people who live here, pushovers. No giants, no hills, no problems. Let's go up there. Guys, we should never be moved by our circumstances, but led by the Holy Spirit. 
Because we can talk ourselves into things. Well, that place, real estate, you buy a house for $40,000. Right? That's not Santa Cruz. You can't buy a garage for $40,000. You can't, you probably can't park in front of someone's house for $40,000. But the point is sometimes we look, mobile, someone said mobile home. I live in a mobile home that costs four hundred. dollars How's that? The mobile homes across the street from your cell for $400,000. Do we live on the moon? It's insane. But here's the point. The point is, they saw a land that from their perspective was the right place because it met their physical needs. But it wasn't what God had for them. Guys, God's way is not always the easy way. And that's, again, tell Dan. You can go ahead and take the picture down. So it says there, there were no rulers in the land. So the Danites saw this Sidonian settlement as an easy victory. It wasn't like the Philistine land. Verse 8. Then the spies came back to their brethren at Zorah and Eshtawal, and the brethren said to them, What is your report? They said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land. Indeed, it is very good. Would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and enter and possess the land. And when you go, you will find a secure people and a large land. Remember, they're living in a little tiny spot hiding out from the Philistines. And he said, when you go up there, you're going to find a huge land and some people that are false. The word secure there means falsely secure. They're securing themselves and we can just run right over them. We just walk right over the top of them. They've got no army. It's a large land, a lush land. It doesn't lack anything. And you know what? We can go right up there and wipe them out, looking at things from a physical perspective. Then it says there, and this is sad, for God has given it into your hands. Is that true? Just because someone says that doesn't mean it's true. You know why they thought God had given it to them? Because they looked and there, wasn't, there weren't any huge obstacles in the way. Too often people do that today. Well, you know, I'm just going to run in that direction and as long as God, as God doesn't put up a stop sign, then I'll know it's the Lord. Don't do that. Don't do that. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Don't run in a direction and, and dare God to stop you. Amen? The Danites, that's what they're doing. And they think because they're finding an easy path that somehow it's God's will. Guys, God's word and his commands are the authority and God's word had already been spoken and the land had already been given to them and it was down in the southern territory and instead they're disregarding God's command. They're going their own way. And it says, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. Isn't this what the world's looking for today? A place that satisfies my every need. That's what I want. I want a God that satisfies my every fleshly desire. Don't you know that your fleshly desires will destroy you? So much of what we desire are the very things that will bring us harm. And God's desire is that He gives us something greater. So serving a God of your own creation, you disregard God's commands, you get counsel from those who will tell you what you want to hear, and you make fleshly decisions, not spiritual ones. Fourthly, you're willing to fight battles that you think you can win in your own strength. Look at verse 14. Then the, or verse 11, excuse me. And 600 men of the family of the Danites went from there, from Zorah to Eshkol, armed with weapons of war. And they went up and encamped at Kirjath-Jerim in Judah. Therefore they came to the place of Mahana Dan to this day. There it is, west of Kirjath-Jerim. Mahana Dan just simply means the camp of Dan. And they went up to battle with great boldness. Now isn't it amazing how bold they got all of a sudden? Where were these guys when they were supposed to fight the Philistines? Hiding. 
Oh, no, man, but it's big, bad. Oh, no. But then when they said, oh, it's lush, it's green, there's no army waiting there, we can just walk right over them. Oh, I'm bold. All of a sudden, I'm bold. And again, because they were bold in the flesh instead of desperate for God. You know what? We need to have times where we have to step out in fear and trembling. That's a good thing. Because then we get to see God work. Amen? If we can do it on our own, we don't need God. We're not going to be desperate for God. But here, they're trusting in their own ability. Verse 13, And they passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Wasn't good enough to go by there once. We're on our way now. we got our army. we got 600 guys. We're going back up there to win the battle. On the way, let's stop by the idol worshiper's house. Because we're so in, in tune with Almighty God. We're in total rebellion against God. We're going the exact opposite direction where He wanted us to go. And on our way there, let's stop by the idol worshiper's house. And maybe we can get another word of praise from the hireling. Right? He said good stuff last time. Maybe we should go by there one more time. See what he has to say. You know, I love going to that church because every week he just tells me how wonderful I am. <laughs> and next door neighbor tell me that. My pastor, man, all he does is just tell us how wonderful we are every single week. I'm like, dude, and you believe him? <laughs> you are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? Amen? Now, you also need to know what a treasure possession you are to Almighty God. Amen? You are his treasure possession. He loves you. But we don't need people to puff us up. We need to be brought to the point of, des- of our desperate need for our Savior. So serving a God of our own creation, next by trying to cover ungodly behavior with outward religion. They go to the house of Micah, look what happens. Then the five men who had gone out to spy the country of Laash answered and said to the brethren, Do you know there are there in these houses an ephod? Remember what was an ephod? Remember what was that? It's a priestly garment, remember? Only the high priest was to wear it. And had the jewels of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Micah made one for himself. And threw it on Jonathan, the grandson of Moses, and said, I got myself a priest. No, you don't. You got yourself, you got yourself a hireling all dressed up who will tell you what you want to hear. And that's exactly what's happening. And so it says there, an ephod, a household idols, a carved image, and a molded image. Now, therefore, consider what you should do. They turn to the 600 guys and say, hey, man, they got some idols in there, some carved images, an ephod. Man, what do you think? Now, if they're walking with God, they shouldn't even have gone near that stuff. Right? They'd have walked right by. But this shows how in rebellion they are. They say, what should we do about these idols? He told us good things. Maybe we should go in and grab those idols. Maybe that shrine is a place we can consult God as we go up to fight our battle. There's only one place they were to worship God. One place they were to make sacrifice. Where was that? The tabernacle. And the high priest was there. It was a representation of Jesus Christ. All these other priests are false representations of the one and true Savior. Verse 15. So they turned aside there. They turned aside there. They're walking in total rebellion and they turn into the house of idolatry. I'm on my way to rebellion. Let me turn into the house of idolatry and be encouraged. They went out of their way to visit the shrine of idols, again created to represent Jehovah. It says they went aside there and came to the house of the young Levite man, to the house of Micah, and greeted him. So they saw Jonathan when they got there. Jonathan had told him good things before. That's what hirelings do. Tell everybody good things. You'll be in good favor with everyone. You never know when you might need another job. 
So just tell everybody good stuff. You'll be fine. Look at verse 16. The 600 men armed with weapons of war who were of the children of Dan stood by the entrance of the gate. Then the five men who had gone to spy the land went up. Entering there, they took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image. And the priest, Jonathan, stood at the entrance of the gate with 600 men who were armed with the weapons of war. These guys went and stole the idols. There are so many things wrong with that. They stole the idols. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not serve graven images. They stole the idols. This is so wrong. There's so many things wrong with that sentence. Stole the idols. So are they in rebellion or what? And here, you know what the sad part is? They're stealing idols and they think they're earning God's favor. They think that if I get some outward religious stuff and carry it with me when I go up to fight the people in that land, then I can make it look like God's really on my side when I'm in total rebellion. They stole the idols. When we're walking in rebellion, we'll try to cover our ungodly behavior with outward religion. Again, reminds me of the mafia hitman killing people in the afternoon and going to mass that night. You know, to a lesser degree, what about drinking, partying, sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend every Saturday night and then coming to church on Sunday? Now again, if you're blo- this is a hospital, not a police station, amen? We come here, we're all sinners saved by... How many people sinned this week? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, you're sinning right now because you're lying, amen? <laughs> the truth is we all sin, don't we? Is that true or not? So the point is, we come here because we're sinners in need of a Savior, and we, we praise God for His grace. But at the same time, if we're living in habitual sin, and we think we can just keep on living in it, and somehow it's a spiritual band-aid to show up at church on Sunday... I knew a guy that was dating a girl, and they, were da- and they lived next door to me years ago, and they would sleep together, and then on his way to take her home, he would stop by, and she would run in and make confession and come back out and go home. So every time they slept together, he'd have to drive by confession on the way home. I'm like, dude, this is hypocrisy. Amen? How about this? Let's just start obeying God. So here's what's happening. These guys take for themselves, these idols, and now they think that it's going to give them some kind of approval before God. But 1 Samuel 15 says this, to obey is better than sacrifice. God wants your heart, not your rituals. Amen? He wants your heart, not just you coming to church and you know scoring brownie points with God. He just wants a relationship with you. They took on the religious trappings, but they had no real faith in God or His Word. So it says there, Verse 18, when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image and the ephod and the household idols and the molded image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? Now, why did he say that? Because if the ephod's gone and the idols are gone, he's got no job. He's watching his 10 shekels and his shirt walking away. He's like, now, what are you guys doing? This is my job we're doing. If there's no shrine, where am I gonna, how am I gonna make sacrifice for him? How am I gonna, I gotta have the ephod. He thinks I'm a priest. I'm not really, but if I have the ephod, he thinks so. So if you take the ephod, you're blowing my gig, man. Where are you going? This is the motivation of Jonathan. No gods, no ephod, and he's not gonna need a priest. I'm out of a gig. Now look what happens, verse 19. And when they said to him, be quiet. Put your hand over your mouth. 
shut up. That's what he said. They said, shut up. But then they follow up the threat, because that's what this was, with a job offer. Look what it says. Put your hand over your mouth and come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be a priest for a household of one man or that you could be the priest of the tribe and, the, and a family in Israel? Right now, you've got 30 people at your church. How, how about come to our church? We've got 3,000. We'll pay you even more money for you to tell us what we want to hear. Come be our hireling. We like what you said last time. Come with us. Now watch how his attitude changes because this proves he's a hireling because they're stealing idols, which is wrong in so many levels. And instead of rebuking them, look what he does in verse 20. So the priest's heart was glad. He was stoked. He got a raise. He got a bigger congregation. He got to butter up more people on a weekly basis. So the priest was glad. He took the ephod, the household idols, and the carved image and took his place among the people. Now, is he too worried about Micah right around now or what? He was serving in Micah's house, wasn't he? This goes to show you that a hireling is somebody who does not care for the sheep. A hireling is somebody, that's a term that was used for a shepherd, that if they were your sheep and a bear showed up, you went down and fought the bear. If you were a hireling getting paid and a bear showed up, you ran away. Why? Not my sheep. Not dying for those sheep. That guy's paying me minimum wage. I can, get another, I can be a shepherd down the road. I'm fighting no bear, right? But if those are your sheep, what do you do? You go, well, here's the hireling. What happens? He gets a job offer for more money. He's glad. He takes the ephod and he leaves. He just walks away. Danites had their religious trappings, their hireling priest. And they help, it helped make them feel better about their ungodly behavior. And Jonathan was stoked because he had a more prestigious uh, position now than he had before. Verse 21. Then they turned and departed and put the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. Why did they do that? Because they knew that when they left, they had not seen the last of Micah. Micah's not home. Micah's going to come home. So they put their valuable stuff in the front because they knew Micah would come up from behind and they'd have to deal with him. So they put him behind them. So serving a God of our own creation, we try to cover our ungodly behavior with outward religion. Look, but we'll look at all the idols we've got. We've got a priest with us. How can we be out of God's will? Sixth. In the end, these false gods will come to nothing. Look at verse 22. When they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. So he got all of his neighbors together to go with him. Verse 23, And they called out to the children of Dan. So they turned around and said to Micah, What ails you that you have gathered such a company? Now, do you think they knew what ailed him? Of course they did. But do you notice how brave these guys are now? Wouldn't fight the Philistines, but we got 600 people, and you got Micah and a few neighbors. Yeah, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, we took your stuff. Too bad. What ails you? Now, I don't see them. They're hiding from the Philistines, but they're real brave when it comes to Micah and his family. What a godly mess this is. A group of God's chosen people in rebellion as they go against God's clear command to conquer the land that 
again, God had given them, stealing idols from a hireling priest along the way. And Micah, whose name is, who was like Jehovah, chasing them down because someone stole his gods trying to get them back. Is this a mess or what? By the way, if you have a God and someone can steal it, that's not good. If you have to rescue your God, what kind of God are you serving? The Danites knew he was coming. They knew he would come. They weren't worried because they had him physically outnumbered. This is a total disaster. These guys, are they chosen of God? Are they not part of the, of the children of Israel? And they're just, this is a rebellion fest. God's on nobody's side here. Amen? They're just, it's just a mess. All over the place. So tragic. Verse 24. So he said, you have taken away my gods. That just cracks me up. I can hardly read that. You stole my God. Give him back. That was my God. I etched my name in the bottom of it. Look. Turn over the bottom of my God. Look what it says. Property of. Like, can you imagine? You stole my God, which I made. Uh, duh. It's so funny later in Scripture. Says, you take a piece of wood, you cut half of it, you make an idol, and you worship it, and you burn the other half to warm your house. This half, burn my, warm my house. This half, worship. Foolish. So then he says this. And the priest, and you have gone away. Now what more do I have? How can you say to me what ails me? What more do I have? This shows how empty all, empty all the idolatry was. He had a shrine. He had a priest. He had an ephod. He had false gods. He had everything. Uh, William, he had nothing because it went away. And when we follow false gods in the end, it will come to nothing. Verse 25, we're almost done. And the children of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry men fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. It's amazing how brave these guys are when they're fighting enemies much smaller than them. Lest angry men fall upon you, literally, lest you be run through with a spear. Note the, the lawlessness during the time of the judges. Look how lawless these people are. They're stealing idols. They're threatening to kill each other. They're supposed to be children of God. And they're threatening to kill each other while they're fighting over idols that they never should have had to begin with. And note again how brave they are against the people of Laish and against Micah and his neighbors. But yet they were fearful to step out in faith when they had to fight the enemies God had placed before them. Verse 26. Then the children of Dan went their way. When Micah saw they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. No more gods. Went home to a godless house. It was godless when the gods were there. Amen? He went back to a godless house because, and the same thing again, he's looking at things from a physical perspective. And when we operate in the flesh and we look at things from a physical perspective, in the end it will come to nothing. Verse 27 to 29. We're going to misuse the sword. Look what happens when we serve a God of our own creation. So they took the things Micah had made, the priest who had, and the priest who had belonged to him, and they went to Laish, to a people quiet and secure, and they struck them with the edge of the sword, and they burned the city with fire. There was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon. They had no ties with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rohab. So they built the city and dwelt there. And they called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan their father, who was born in Israel. 
However, the name of the city was formerly Laesh. Now, operating in their flesh, we can do more harm with the sword, God's word, than good with it. The sword in the Bible is a representation of the word of God. And if we wield it to bring harm to others and promote our own agenda, have people, do people do that with the word of God sometimes? They do with the Word of God to promote their own wealth. Well, the Word of God says, and if you just plant your seed in my, you know. What are they doing? They're wielding the sword in vain for their own physical gain. Isn't that true? And that's what's happening here. You know what's interesting? In Deuteronomy, God said, any Jewish city that is involved in idolatry shall be burned. Anybody who has idols in their city shall be burned burned and they have idols and they're going to take another city and they burned them isn't it interesting how we can sometimes place a judgment that belongs upon us and try to put on someone else and that's what's happening here they were the ones who were sinful they were the ones who were wicked they were the ones who were in rebellion and instead they treat these peaceful people who god had not chosen to be judged now it doesn't mean they weren't going to ultimately face judgment but at that time god had not sent anybody there to take their their land and they went anyway because they were doing things according to their own will. In the end, the end result would be a perpetually plagued city. Look what happens. Last two verses. The last thing that happens when we are serving a God of our own creation, we choose comfort, convenience over faithfulness, obedience, and truth. Look what it says. Then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. you know how long that is? 260 years. For 260 more years after this, they've got Moses' descendants serving as priests. So they went up for themselves, set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. This beautiful... They set up for themselves this beautiful shrine and then they made that an alternative form of worship. And you know what? That place became a godless, idolatrous place for hundreds of years. If you have that other photo, go ahead and put it up there. Following, there would be a man by the name of Jeroboam. And when he came along, he didn't want the people to go down. That means cultic site. That's what it says. And then move on. The next one. Now, they wouldn't rebuild it. It was made out of stone because they didn't want to rebuild it. But in that very spot, that's exactly what was there. And they, were, they had a golden calf in a shrine back up this way, like where I'm standing, looking down on it. And right there, they made sacrifices to these golden images and these false gods. Where? In Dan. How did it start? The Danites brought idolatry into the land. They were the first tribe to sanctify idol worship. And you know what happens to the tribe of Dan? What's interesting is their land not only becomes this type of a place, again, that from the outward appearance has robes and a Levites and ephods, and, and again, they're making sacrifices, but they're making false sacrifice to a false god. And it says in Isaiah, call upon your God in the day of your trouble, ask him to deliver you. You know what? If you're serving a false god, when the day of trouble comes, you've got no one to deliver you. And Dan was the first tribe to adopt this policy. And you know what ends up happening? In 1 Chronicles, they list the tribes of Israel. Guess who's not listed? Dan. When you get to Revelation chapter 7, and it talks about the 144,000 during the time of the Great Tribulation, and there's 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes that become witnesses to the truth. Guess which tribe's not listed? Dan. Their sinful disobedience resulted in consequences that lasted 
for eternity. And how did it happen? They didn't trust God when God told them, I'm with you, just step out with me. No, I'm going to do it my way. No, I'm with you. Step out with me. I'm going to bring you a great victory. You're going to get to see my hand at work. No, I'm going to do it my own way. Where, didn't I part the Red Sea for you? Well, yeah. Didn't, didn't I bring the walls of Jericho down by blowing trumpets? Well, yeah, that happened. And can't I beat the Philistines? Well, yeah, you probably could. But you know what? We're going to go the easy way. My exhortation to every one of us is we would not look for the easy way but God's way. And Lord, whatever that is, there might be trials in front of me, but Lord, bring them on if it's going to bring you glory. If that test is going to produce a testimony, then Lord, I want it. So in closing, serving a God of our own creation. And when we do that, we disregard the commandments of God. We find those who will tell us what we want to hear. Now, none of you can be accused of that. You come here more than once, you're not coming here because you want, you know, that ain't happening. Number three, you make fleshly decisions, not spiritual ones. You fight battles in your own strength rather than trusting in God. You try to cover ungodly behavior with outward religion. In the end, these false gods will come to nothing and we will misuse the sword, the word of God, if we have a God of our own, our own belief. Again, some pe- I just heard recently from some people in our church went to visit somebody and the woman said, well, we don't take the Bible literally and you know, I believe in evolution and you pick and choose. You don't pick and choose with the Bible. And now you're misusing the word of God when you make those statements. You're misusing the word of God. You believe it all or you don't believe it at all. Amen? And it's under attack, and we need to not water it down. Well, I don't really believe Jonah happened. Guess what? Jonah happened. You really believe they took all those animals and put them on a boat? Yep. Bible says so. Amen? If you don't have a problem with the first three words of the Bible, first seven words of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you don't have a problem with that, the rest of it should be really easy. Because he spoke and put it all there. Amen? If he put the stars in the sky, he can get all the animals on a boat. Amen? And he can get a big fish to cooperate and swallow a guy and bring him and barf him up in Nineveh. God can do that. Can't he? Let's not doubt the word of God. Let's trust it. And as we trust it, let's realize there's going to be times when things seem difficult to us, but God's doing it for a reason. And lastly, they chose comfort and convenience over faithfulness, obedience, and truth. Lord, help us to obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. May we not serve a God of our own creation, but Lord, may we serve you all out completely. Lord, because where else can we go? Who else can we serve? Who else can we follow? Who else has the words of eternal life? Who else but you as God? Nobody. And so Lord, I pray you'd help us to to reflect you to a lost and dying world, to reflect your love, your grace, and your mercy. But Lord, that we would not be led by our flesh, but led by your spirit. That we would not water down your word. That Lord, that we would not do things our way but seek to do them yours, knowing, Lord, that you know what's best for us. You're not a no-fun bummer God trying to drag us through the mud, but you're a loving Heavenly Father who wants to lead us into holy living, lead us into a life that will impact this lost and dying world. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We can't wait to see you. It's going to be great. But, Lord, when you come back, I pray we'd be busy about your work. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand